Well, there's a universal but largely unspoken rule that when a difficult passage is assigned in the lectionary, you give it to the new guy. <laughs> or you bring in an outside preacher like we've done at 8.45 and 11 o'clock. In my first parish job, I was an intern, and I was assigned to preach on Revelation chapter 17, which is about a woman holding a cup of abominations sitting on a beast that's destroying the world. It's quite bizarre. Before the service, the lector came up to me and asked if he could read something else. <laughs> and I told him he had the easy job. I had to preach on this. Well, in contrast to Revelation 17, which is obscure and difficult, today's readings hit a bit closer to home as they talk about happiness and questions of money. We all know that money is essential to living well. It provides for our necessities, food, shelter, clothing, and so on. Yet, if money becomes the primary aim in life, this can have destructive consequences. Desiring it drains up your emotional energy, Acquiring it occupies much of our time and our thought. And it never quite seems to deliver the happiness we expect from it. And because money is a key part of life, both Jesus and St. Paul think that it's a matter of discipleship. And that's why Jesus tells the parable of Lazarus and the rich man, and St. Paul talks about the dangers of loving money to his disciple Timothy. Yet it's uncomfortable to discuss this, isn't it? It breaks a cardinal rule of etiquette, and that's why you get the new guy to talk about it. <laughs> so what I want to do this morning is focus on St. Paul's statement, there is great gain in godliness combined with contentment. And this great gain involves avoiding two errors that we'll see lead to ruin and destruction. And it also involves acquiring two traits so that we can take hold of the eternal life, the true life with God. To be clear, I think what Paul is doing in this passage is wisdom teaching. It's designed to help foster the good life with God rather than just to provoke guilt. So let's begin by looking at the two errors that Paul says we should avoid and then the two traits he wants us to acquire. So we need to start with the first thing, which is Paul says that we should avoid the love of money, which is a root of all kinds of evil, he says. Now, I need to be clear that this passage is often misquoted. It's often quoted as saying money is the root of all evil, but that's actually incorrect. Money cannot be the root of all evil because evil predated the human creation of it. And money also provides necessities. St. Paul, for example, relies on the patronage of wealthy people like Lydia. So the problem he's identifying is not money itself, but the love or excessive desire for it. That's the concern that he has. And the technical term in the moral tradition for this is covetousness. A covetous person views money as the supreme good the true source of freedom, security, and contentment. That kind of thing, that covetousness, is a root of all kinds of evil, St. Paul says, because those who love money in that way are willing to do whatever it takes to get it and keep it. 
And the result is often envy and conflict and injustices of excess and extreme want. But despite those kinds of problems, covetousness is often nurtured in contemporary cultures. We're taught to desire money so we can do as we please, be safe, be happy. For instance, we're often taught, as I'm sure we've all heard, that buying something new or earning more will make you happy. Yet the psychologists that study these things have found that we're actually really bad at anticipating what possessions and level of income will actually make us happy. In fact, we overestimate the happiness that results from money and underestimate the happiness that comes from relationships and acts of service. Those things actually make us a lot happier on a lot of these studies. So when a new guitar or a raise doesn't deliver, what we often do is think we bought the wrong guitar or we didn't get the right level of raise. And the cycle repeats itself, right? I use the example of guitar because that's, that's the struggle that I have. <laughs> but St. Paul says these things because he thinks the love of money causes us to fall into temptation. This new thing will make me happy. Or to be trapped by harmful desires. I yearn for, I really want that raise. Ultimately, he thinks this is how we plunge ourselves into ruin and destruction because we actually turn from God who truly satisfies us. So all of this is strong language to be sure, but it makes the point that covetousness is actually like seawater rather than living water. The more you drink of it, the thirstier you actually become. So we make two errors, St. Paul says. We ignore that God alone is the source of happiness, and we desire things that actually don't satisfy us. It's two problems there. The Bible commands us to love God above all things and to love our neighbors as ourselves, partly to steer us away from those problems. This is because right loving keeps all things in perspective and actually leads us to happiness in life with God. So that's the first error. To escape it, to escape this problem of covetousness, some people go to the opposite extreme and conclude that material things are actually worthless. And that's the second error to avoid, the problem of condemning material things. The Christian doctrine of creation says that God made the world and called it good. We're to steward it and use it for the benefit of everyone. And it's to that end that humans created money, to foster commerce, to provide for needs, to help us to enjoy good things. Yet money can be tempting, as we've seen. And to avoid the temptation of money, some consider it and the things that it can buy to be wrong in itself, to be evil. Have any of you seen the film Babette's Feast? Have you seen this? It's a great movie. Um, it's a, about a community that withdraws from the world to avoid temptation. They live a really austere life, but they're actually unhappy as they deny the goodness of the world, the goodness of the things that God has given to them. So their guest, Babette, who's a great chef, cooks them a delicious meal food that's greater than they've ever had. 
and they're overwhelmed with delight. They can't believe the goodness of the things that they're tasting. And their outlook changes from condemning the material things to gratitude and praise to God. The error of condemning material reality conflicts with our passage, which tells us to set our hopes on God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment, St. Paul says. So in other words, if you view material things as blessings rather than as sources of temptation to condemn, we will rightly enjoy the things that God has given. So those are the two errors St. Paul thinks we should avoid, covetousness and condemning material reality. Both of those things, he says, lead to ruin and destruction. We overestimate the value of money and the happiness it will provide, and we underestimate the goodness of the things that God has given to us. Now, the antidote to both of those extremes is the middle course that St. Paul identifies in our passage. He tells us that money is not an end in itself, but a tool, a tool to use in service of God and neighbor. So to keep this middle course, he recommends disciples to acquire two traits, contentment and charitableness. Contentment is being satisfied with the simpler things. St. Paul reminds us at the very beginning of our passage that we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. So enjoy what you've been given. With that injunction, he's actually freeing us up to be happy. I think that's important to recognize. If we're satisfied with what we have, then we enjoy God's blessings. We live the good life. And if we aren't satisfied, we might tend toward the other extremes of covetousness or condemning the world. And neither is good for us. So that's the first trait, a sense of contentment with what we've been given. The second good trait is charitableness. That's the habit of being generous and doing good things that help others. Good things are best shared, aren't they? St. Paul says, don't be proud or think that money saves, but hope in God. Give thanks. Be generous. Being charitable shows that money is your possession. You're not possessed by excessive love for it. It's a really important point. Nor do you doubt the goodness of the world or the goodness of caring for others. You're actually free. By giving generously, St. Paul says, you take hold of the life that really is life, life with God, a life of joy and happiness in relationships with others. To be sure, this is a kind of wisdom teaching. This is not meant to be fire and brimstone judgment. St. Paul is trying to make clear that there's a happy way to live, a better way, loving God, enjoying God's good gifts, and sharing what you have. In other words, material things like money, they're tools for use. They're not things worth your ultimate allegiance or your highest love. Only God is worth that. Loving material things deeply 
actually leads to ruin and destruction. So there's a better way, Paul is telling us. It's in godliness combined with contentment and charitableness. So in conclusion, St. Paul teaches us that we overestimate the value of money and underestimate the value of creation and God's gifts. Both tendencies are harmful. And that's why questions of money and questions of happiness are matters of discipleship. A happy person, the one who delights in the good gifts of God, God's grace given for us, avoids the errors of covetousness and condemning material reality by being content with simplicity and charitable to others. The result is a good life, a life of gratitude, a life of praise, a life of freedom. So why don't we challenge ourselves this week? Let's examine our hearts and see where we struggle, as all of us do, with these problems, covetousness and condemning. And let's ask God to deliver us, to set us free, to make us content and charitable. After all, those things help us to take hold of the life that really is life, life with God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen.